guys, welcome back to another episode of the Fort Worth Guitar Academy podcast. I'm your host, Eric Barassa, and I'm super excited to be joined once again with music history guitar expert, Mr. John Harlow. Hey, John. Hello, Eric. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm just living the dream, (laughs) as uh, always. (laughs) We're we're, we're hanging out today at my house, and John got to come over, bring over one of his many guitars and plug it in through my Mesa, and uh, we we thought we'd have a little chat about um, Joe Bonamassa and British blues rock and sort of where Bonamassa fits in uh, the history of uh, guitar legends. So, John, what are your thoughts? Well, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm fairly old now, about in, in my early 60s. And, it, you know, I grew up in a, a time for, you know, in London where the rock music scene was just incredible. And all my guitar heroes have seen, sort of been encapsulated in Joe Bonamassa. It's, it's really quite remarkable. You know, whenever he cites an influence, um, it's usually a British one. And uh, certainly, probably the one he cites the most these days is Paul Kossoff, which um, was probably my first guitar hero when I was about 15 or 16 and really started listening to music in a critical way, I suppose you could call it. And uh, Paul Kossoff was a guitar player with Free. And most people will know his guitar playing on, on All Right Now. That's certainly the most famous Free song. But I would really encourage you to go out and listen to the early albums of Free and some of the live recordings that they did. They did an, an album called Free Live, which back in the 70s was just a single vinyl LP. Um, but they've reissued it as a CD. But they issued, they issued a CD of it back in the probably the 80s, early 90s, which had all the outtake tracks, if you like, all the extra tracks that they recorded at a really incredible show up in uh, the north of England. And uh, on that, they played their versions of Crossroads, you know, Clapton's Crossroads, etc. And it's really a great example of how fiery Kossoff was when you just put him, you know, a, an old Les Paul through a Marshall stack and just let him rip <laughs> and he was he was fabulous he was classically trained and in fact uh, they they say that when he came to the kind of rock scene in in london blues scene in london they had to teach him blues chords he didn't know them he knew classical music you know his father his father had been an orator on on british television for years that used to tell bible stories funny enough david kossoff and his son was just a really really good classical guitar player who wanted to play something else Wow, and, I, had, I had no idea about that. Yeah, and he owned, his father bought him two really nice guitars, which just happened to be 58 and 59 Les Pauls. My which, goodness. Which are now worth, you know, they, um, I think they're still around. Uh, one of them has been, uh, Bonamassa has played one of those guitars on stage. That's right. Who who owns that guitar? Some guy in England, I don't know, but he, oh. he was, you know, it's God knows what it's worth, but it's been well photographed and documented in guitar magazines very recently. And, of course, it sounds fabulous. And then Gibson did a limited edition. It's a, it's a lemon tea burst, I think they call it. And it's, uh, Gibson did a, a very expensive reissue of it about three years ago, four years ago. So you can see what one... And it was totally copied from the original. So it was, it's just fabulous. But I think they were $12,500 each. Jeez. You know, I've seen yeah. the Gibson um, lemon, lemon burst. And it's honestly, I, I other than like just a gold top or their traditional sunburst, that's my favorite fish. Yeah, it's, I love. it's a beautiful color, and of course, it's, the amazing thing is the sound of it, and uh, you know, sort of light, lightning in a bottle, as they say. And you know, with those Les Pauls, I think I think we touched on it in the last podcast we did, where um, 
the Les Paul had gone out of favour in this country. Right. So um, the I think they st they took it out of the Gibson catalogue in about 1961 and replaced it with the, the Gibson SG, which they still have today. Um, but really, kids wanted Strats and Telecasters mainly because they were affordable, you know. But in London, um, three kind of notable guitar players, Clapton, Page, and Beck, all picked one up and the sound that they came out, you know, when they put them through a Marshall, very loud, all of a sudden everybody wanted one, right? So I think, was it Clapton's early Beano album work? That was all the Les Paul into a Marshall. Wait, was it on the Beano? I, for it some was. reason, I thought it was the 335. No, no, that but, came but later. But for, sh for yeah. sure, I know it was a Gibson. Yeah, no, it was, it was a Gibson, and then it was stolen. So Clapton's Les Paul has never, never resurfaced, oh. although they think it might be the one that Bernie Marsden out of Whitesnake now has. Right, so he they can't be sure, but they try and match up the you know the the grain on the top and the and the kind of um, the pearl inlays. You know they've got a certain pattern to them, so they think that might be the one. Interesting, because yeah. all, all of those old Gibsons are really tough to date. They didn't have a good consistent yeah serial number, right? Yeah, well they said they made seventeen hundred of them, but only two thousand two hundred are accounted for. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, been, there's been some fakes. Now that, um, on that Beano album, that's and what John is referencing is when Eric Clapton played um, with John Mayall's Blues Breakers. And if you've never heard that, that's probably one of the most important British blues albums. Uh, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, you know, John Mayall is still the father of, as they call it, British blues. I mean, oh he, yeah. He was a musicologist. He's in his eighties now, but he's still playing. Yeah, you know, and um, he he gave a start to well, every everybody went through the blues. Peter breakers. Green, Peter Green, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, yep, um, uh, Jeff Beck. Yeah. Oh, um, did Jeff Beck? Jeff Beck was oh, briefly in it, and they're, and they're all they're all in it briefly. You know, wow. I mean, they, who who else was there? There was somebody else after them. Uh, well, they've had some really good ones. Buddy Whittington from this area. From yeah, yeah, he, he he's from like Arlington yeah, or somewhere. Was, yeah, he was in it for years. 17 years or something, he was a blues breaker, a long yeah. time. Um, but it's certainly been a, a great band. But that sound that he got there. And then Kossoff and Clapton traded Les Pauls. When, when Kossoff was fueling his drug habit, he, gave, he sold Clapton one of his Les Pauls. So Clapton had one in the, probably, it was probably uh, just after Cream. Just after Cream, 1968-ish. But, you know, Kossoff by that time was, was um, just coming up you know but um by 1970 72 you know kossoff was deeply in the grip of drugs and um he'd gone over then to a stratocaster because of the loss of Jimi hendrix so he felt he so he was playing a stratocaster so we've come back round to kossoff again so he was playing a stratocaster and you know if i said go listen to kossoff on free he briefly had a band of his own called Backstreet Crawler, um, which made a really good one-off album. Um, they, they did have a touring band after that, but the really good one was called Backstreet Crawler. And that, he was in the grip of drugs by then. He was playing a Stratocaster, not a Les Paul. But it really was vintage Kossoff. It really was vintage Kossoff. And say Kossoff became a uh, you know, major influence for uh, for the young Joe Bonamassa, which we, I would say it seems like it's kind of an obscure reference because I think to most people today Kossoff is not a a household no. name. So what, he's probably got the most amazing next to BB King, 
he's got the most amazing vibrato. So from a guitar player's point Wait of view, a sec. Oh, we might have to have another uh, podcast episode where you and I debate yeah, the well, vibrato of B.B. King. I know you don't like B.B. <laughs> King's vibrato, but he's known for it. You've got to say he's, he's known for it, whether agreed, it's good or bad agreed. or indifferent. That, that but from true. a purist point of view, Kossoff, you know, he had a very unique vibrato, which gave him a style all of his own. So do, why do you think... Kossoff has been all but forgotten, if not for Joe Bonamassa. Well, he di- he died very young. He, he you know the drugs. Well, but the, so did Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, but well, and he uh, you know he died about the same age. He was twenty six, and he was he really hadn't done anything for after the age of twenty two, twenty three. Um, so he, you know he just went into obscurity. Bad company eclipsed him. You know, the, I mean, the half of free went into bad company. And that, oh, and they I became, didn't know that. Yeah, and they became like global superstars. Right, because right? so many, I feel like most people would know who bad company is, but not not free. Right, and they had Mick Rouse as a guitar player, which in my view is very average compared to the, the talent of Kossoff. And actually Kossoff did make that comment about them. You know, he said, I think Mick Rouse has taken some of what I did and just make it very watery, I think is the words he used. <laughs> you know, and he wasn't wrong, in my view. Um, you know, it was a good old, you know, Paul, Paul Rogers is a fabulous singer and it was a good fun band. I saw them five times, I think, in, in England. They were, they were great fun, um, but they weren't free. They, if you want electric blues purists, you listen to free, not bad company, you know. Uh, so um, I think, yeah, so Kossoff became an influence. Uh, Rory Gallagher, that's another one. Um, oh, yeah, that's somebody else I've, I've never listened to. Yeah, which he's, you know, he was, he was an Irish rocker. He played one guitar all his career, uh, 1961 or 62 Stratocaster with, a, with, an odd, with an odd machine head. One of them is the most beat-up Stratocaster. It made Stevie Ray Vaughan's Stratocaster look like a, you know, pristine piece of furniture. <laughs> I mean, you know, but he was, a, he was just a really nice guy. Everybody, I, mean, I knew a couple of people who'd met him and said uh, that, you know, he'd come and drink them backstage and, you know, just talk about the music and the guitars and all that stuff. Really simple guy. And he he died um, fairly young after actually a, a liver transplant. That's what got him, and it wasn't booze. Um, but he was a great, great player. But Bonamassa has used that Stratocaster on stage as well. Oh, that exact one. That exact one to play Cradle Rock, which was a, a classic Rory Gallagher tune. Um, so he's fun to listen to. He's just a really good. Um, probably the best album of his would be the Irish Tour '74, and that's, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. If, if for for people that wanted to get into him, what should they listen yeah, the to? Yeah, the Irish Tour '74. Um, so if you put that, if you put Kossoff, Gallagher, I think probably some Roy Buchanan. You know, because you want to hear out what the sound you can get out of a Telecaster. Go listen to Roy Buchanan. Mm. Um, Roy Buchanan, anything actually. Um, he was, you know, as a I mean, just a rare talent. There's lots of video of him on YouTube, and you can just just he invented pinch pinch squealing. You know, Roy, really, Roy, yeah, Roy Buchanan. He was the he was guy. the guy that invented it, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so so far, people need to check out uh, Paul Kossoff of Free, and they need to check out Rory Gallagher and Roy Buchanan. Um, now, where where do we kind of go after that? I, I suppose. I mean, obviously. You know he's 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 a big fan of Eric Clapton, uh, Bonamassa. He's uh, I think he's 
frankly, his technique is light years ahead of Clapton. I know that's sac- oh, sac- sacrilege to say that. Right, right. Um, but Eric, in my view, has been phoning it in for 40 years, in my view. Um, yeah. Now, I would argue, I actually had this conversation with somebody else this weekend about Clapton, how he hates the, the later, like, pop stuff that, that he did. And, and of oh, course, I'm, that, I'm... That was me, you had that. Yeah. Right. That well, was me. You yeah. said that. Yeah, I said but, that too. Yeah. But my, my buddy up yeah. in Iowa said the same thing, not yeah. two yeah. days ago. And uh, I think you just have two very different Eric Clapton's. You've got that fiery 60s Clapton. And then you have this pop acoustic um, guy from the 80s and 90s. And I like both versions of Clapton, but uh, they are very different. They are. And uh, I think he was a gunslinger when he was was 20. He was a gunslinger. And he just wanted to be the best. Um, And I think... You know, the live albums from Cream, I think, showed everything he could do, which was amazing at the time. But he didn't really, in my view, didn't develop it much. And then um, I, I personally like the um, 461 Ocean Boulevard album from 74, which right, right, right. that was the one that's with the, the reggae more, stuff the reggae, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had some good songs on it, and it was very well done. So now we've got Buchanan, Kossoff, Clapton, and Gallagher. Right, so did I say him twice? But uh, so that their influences for Bonamassa to be sure. Obviously, BB King was a major influence because he gave him his start when he was just eleven. Um, but I'm not quite sure. I even though actually probably an interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording at my house today, and it's it's been very stop and go. Yeah. The, the 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 lawn people just showed up. I finally kicked the kids out of the house. And uh, it's it's been uh, anyway. We're just gonna kind of get go through <laughs> the yeah. noise. Yeah. So yeah. So let's let's just uh, touch on that. Bonamassa in 2015 uh, did a tour called the Three Kings Tour, which is that's that, right. That's, which uh, I was lucky. King. Yeah, BB King, and of course and the great Freddie King. Yeah. And Eric's major influence was Freddie King, and I was lucky enough to see Eric with Freddie King just before Freddie died in 1976. Wow. So that was, How do you think, remember that that was the year you saw them? I just I have an eidetic memory, unfortunately. Wow. I'm cursed with Total Recall. But um, uh, so Bonamassa did this tour in 2015, and he took the more obscure King songs from the three of them and did an album uh, which is available... Um, I think it's called the, the Three Kings yeah, Tour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't and it's a heard DVD it, of it. Is, is, yeah, is I mean, it and it's all over YouTube, so you can see every show. Yeah. Um, I well, saw every, it. every day, Bonamassa, because I subscribe to his YouTube channel, and every single day there's a new video right. that he's uploading from his past DVD. I mean, the man has a catalog that just eclipses everybody else of Yeah, today. I think so. And he's, uh, I mean, this year he just finished up last, this, last week 98 shows for the year. Wow. You know, which if it's, and he's playing to 5,000 people at a time. So, you know, he's making some money, isn't he? But, uh, but I saw that tour. I saw him in Cape Cod, actually. Um, I was in the second row. And that was a fabulous show, you know, because he, you know, first of all, you know, I, I was able to go up to his guitar rack and see, and he borrowed Albert King's actual guitar from Steven Seagal, the actor. He owns it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so he well, actually yeah, had... Steven Seagal is, is quite the uh, guitar Right, so, so he lent him Lucy for the tour. So, he, you know, it's, wow. kind of, it's kind of a flying V. It was built by Dan Earlwine, I think. So it's a flying V with a, with a, with a, a more Les Pauly type neck and head on it. So, mm. 
and it's got Albert King's name in, written in pearl on it, so you can't steal it. But uh, <laughs> but the but they let me go up right right up to the rack, and he had you know he had two sixty three Gibson three three fives in there. He had his usual Les Pauls, which you know I mean probably half a million dollars worth of Les Pauls there. Yeah, you know, yeah. and they're just sitting there. I mean, you know, just let me walk up to it and took wow. pictures well, of it. And, and we recently discovered Joe Bonamassa says he has. 400 guitars and 400 amps. Yeah, in and they're all vintage, collection. mint vintage. That's the key. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bunch of squires he, he got laying a, around. He, he bought a 52 Telecaster this week, and it looks like it was made yesterday. It <laughs> even had the, it had, all, it had the original bill of sale with it, everything. I mean, it's amazing what's out there, and I guess people find that, you know, they, they find their way to Joe now because they know he, he's buying, and he's, <laughs> you know... He says buy and sell, but he only really buys, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but they, you know, there he's, you know, his influences there. So you've got now, so that's Clapton, uh, obviously Jeff Beck's an influence, right? You know, because he did some of that on his um, when he did the four straight nights in England. So he started off at the club he began at ten, fifteen years ago, and then he finished up playing at the Albert Hall. And he did four straight nights. That's right. That's six, right. So sixty-four and he, he different songs. Four like DVDs. Yeah. DVDs and the, and, at and the time. my my view, the best one is the one at the Borderline, which is the club he that's, started at. That I have that one. Right. I love it, the Borderline. Yeah, and that's Jeff Beck. That starts with Jeff Beck stuff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and he, he, uh, you that's know, the led, one where he uses boots, a strap for. Yeah, he uses the Strat a lot, and then goes to the to the Les Paul. Yeah, yeah. But it's a you know that club has since closed, unfortunately. You know, and I, th- I think uh, Joe Bonamassa, I read in a guitar magazine several years ago, he was like, look, these are the British blues albums you need to get. And he listed off three. Yeah, and Truth. And once he Truth. wrote Truth by Jeff, Jeff Beck, Beck yeah. which I listened to and was blown away. And you'll listen to Rod Stewart singing when he could really do, when, oh he, was my the, gosh. when he was the best rock, rock vocalist in the world, yeah. probably. Yeah, um, I love that album. Yeah. And, like for me, when I listen to a blues album, a lot of times I think like now I'm listening to the blues. I got to be in the mood for blues. But Truth, to me, is an album that kind of transcends that, and yeah. I just purely enjoy it. Yep, it's a fabulous album. Yeah, and of course, then he put John Mayles, the, he put, the, the Beano album. Yep, yeah. Uh, which I can't uh, remember what the third one was. Uh, I can't either, actually. Um, I know I listened. Oh, you know what it was? It was BB King Live at the Regal. Oh yes, sixty four. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. that is everybody incredible. cites that one as an incredible album. And it yeah. is, um, you know, just sort of guys at the height of their powers. I think you would say it. And um, so that you know, that's a good kind of you know primer for if you want good electric blues. But that, yeah. but if you listen to what we've just been talking about, everything was British based blues. It right. wasn't. You know, I mean, it, you know, the, the genre started in this country. But it was really the Brits that, that developed it and bought it back. Yeah. Right? I mean, yep. it's like, I mean, if you think about it, like B.B. King, his career was saved by the Rolling Stones. Freddie King's career was saved by Eric Clapton. You know, because they, they, they brought their music into Yeah, they were old men. They were, in their, they were middle-aged men. Nobody was listening to them here. Mm. They, weren't, they didn't have a radio station that would play them. You know, until you know, all of a sudden, you know, if Eric Clapton says, listen to Freddie King, all of a sudden everybody is. Now, if you want... <laughs> The, in my view, the, he is the best blues guitar player ever, Freddie King. Really? I would, I would absolutely say that. Go wow. and listen to it. You just can't teach what he does. Wow. It's not that difficult to play sometimes, but it's where he puts it in the song and how he plays it yeah. and his vocal. And, he's, you know, and he doesn't really put the guitar over his shoulder. He puts it over, one, over his right shoulder, not over his left shoulder. He's playing it with a metal pick. He's playing with with finger picks, not not a. Oh, not is that a, so? Yeah, so he I didn't get, know that. so he's kind of pulling on the strings, 
and he gets and it's a Gibson 335 through a Marshall usually or maybe an old Fender twin and it just gets a sound and a t- you just can't replicate it you just can't do it you know I mean you know it's really what blew Clapton away you know and it's just it's just just listen to it so it's kind of you know Freddie King not I, I wouldn't say BB King maybe live at the Regal yeah, just because it's, yeah. a, it's a milestone but just listen to live Live Freddie King. Okay, and I, I've heard a couple of Freddie King tunes. Well, because that first album on the the or the first song on the Beano album is uh, is a Freddie. Yeah, King. Have you ever loved a woman? Eric made it his own. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, so but, I went back and listened to Freddie King's, yeah, but uh, it, version, which was also great. Yeah, it is, but his live versions of it. You know, I've got probably I don't know how many live albums I've got of Freddie King, but they. And they're not always brilliant audio, you know, because they were recorded, you know, in the 60s. Um, but they are just incredible. Cool. I mean, you know, just if you want phrasing, it's not a million notes. It's just the right ones, yeah. which I think would you, I'd say the same thing about Roy Buchanan. He can play a million notes and he can fire them off pretty quickly. But it's just the it's what he does in the middle of a run or something, you know, a pinch harmonic or a, a squeal or something. It you know, just makes it impossible to play it. <laughs> I'm going to check, have to check that yeah. out because yeah. I, I find that amazing that he was the first guy to do pinch harmonics. Yeah, and uh, listen listen to a song called uh, Way, Wayfaring Pilgrim mm. by Roy Buchanan. You know, you will hear phrasing, tone. Wait, was, was it Rory Gallagher or Roy Buchanan? Roy Buchanan. The, he Roy, was the first to do Yeah, okay. Roy, and okay. he was actually a, a rival for Hendrix. They were, they were actually... Hendrix was, was going to be in, I forget which band it was. It might have been Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Right? So really? it was going to be Help. It wasn't going to be Elp, ELP. It was going to be Help with Hendrix. And the Hendrix wouldn't do it. And so they, they, the next one up was Roy Buchanan. That's how good he was. Wow. Right? So, you know, another one, a tortured soul. But my God, did he put a catalogue of music together. And um, there, are, there is one tab songbook of Roy Buchanan's. Really? And there's some good stuff in it, too. But and you own it, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John's got quite the collection of, yeah, of yeah. music books. Yeah, these are. Yeah, I mean these these are my guitar heroes, and trying to do what they do can make you feel very very humble. You know, there are there are guys who can play faster. You know, the Steve Vai's and the Ingwe Malmsteins and all the rest of it. But to me, that's just that's a totally different world. Yeah, it's just notes. It's virtuosic, like riding a unicycle. It's clever, but do you want to do it? Well, we could, you know, we could, we can debate that. Yeah, that's another, well, no, another I, podcast. I agree. <laughs> most most of it is, but there are a couple of landmark, like shred virtuoso albums yes. that, yes. to me, kind of like how truth transcends its genre and it's just good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few shred albums that I think transcend the genre and are just great music. Yeah, uh, there yeah. there are few and far between. They but, are, but there they are, are a few. I mean, some of them are very hard to listen to. Very yeah, hard yeah, to listen I agree. to. I agree. And I don't think anything Freddie King ever did was hard to listen to. Yeah. You know, um, anything Roy Buchanan did wasn't hard to listen to. Yeah. Um, some of them, just after a while, you're just like, okay, he can play a million notes, but can he play one? That's what Gary Moore used to say. Another yeah. great guitar player who, who, could inf- play who really influenced Bonamassa. Yeah. He does Midnight Blues on one of his albums. and um, he, was a, he was an Irish guy, yeah? He was Irish, Northern Irish. Another Les Paul player. Um, played with uh, Thin Lizzy um, before Scott Gorham got there. Um, but he was in Thin Lizzy. So they had some firepower in that band. Scott, I did not know Scott that. Gorham and Gary Moore. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think I saw Gorham. He showed up at my college one night to play for 50 Cents. Oh, my gosh. One of his friends was playing in a band, and he showed up. Um and I'm trying to remember if Gary Moore did as well. I don't think he did, 
but I remember them saying two, two, the two guitar players from Thin Lizzy, and I can't remember if it was at that time it was still Gary Moore, oh, but he's one who would say that. You know, yes, they can play a million notes, but can they play one? Yeah. And yeah. Gary Moore could play very fast. God knows he could. I would say uh, Eric and I have had this. Uh, we've had some fun times looking at these things. But watch uh, Gary Moore play Red House oh, on the yeah. on the 50th Stratocaster anniversary yeah. show. Hearing him play that on a Strat. Yeah, was, he pulled yeah. out a red Strat, picked it up, cranked it, and then hit hit the strings muted so you could just hear how much power was coming through that amplifier. Yep. And then he did a version of Red House that just left. People slack jawed, I think, would be the way to say it. It was yeah. just, you know, just what you could do. Uh, one man could do with one guitar through one loud amplifier. Yeah. You know, just brilliant. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah then, it was. And then at the end, you just said, enjoy your night. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and put the guitar down while it was still kind of resonating. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. was. Well, speaking of enjoying your night, I think we'll, we'll wrap up this episode. And uh, I feel like we could just go for days. Yeah, I mean, but that's, that, they're, they're, they're <laughs> the albums to go look at. You know, well, yeah. yeah so we got. Gary Moore, Paul Kossoff, Roy Buchanan, Rory Gallagher, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, and then the great Freddie King. Yes, perfect. The influences of Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. And then, of course, if you've never listened to Joe Bonamassa himself, that's, uh, that's a worthwhile. I, although, for me, I, I prefer to watch him live rather yes, than listen to the studio recordings. A bit like The Who. Yeah. You know, The Who, they're, they're, they're best served live. Yeah. Who I got to see on their 50th anniversary tour. Probably a little different than hearing them back I, in the seventies. I saw them. I saw their tenth anniversary show, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and that was the that was the day, that was the one I think I told them about in the last podcast. So it was the first, the, the lineup for that day was Montrose. Oh, that's right. So yeah. it was Ronnie Montrose with Sammy Hagar, a young Sammy Hagar, followed by Bad Company, followed by Lou Reed, and then Humble Pie with Stevie Marriott warming up for the Who. And that was four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and with and that, that, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, thank you so much to my guest, John Harlow, for being here. And uh, my pleasure as always. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll probably do this again in, in about a month. Okay, see you guys. Bye.